Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Psalm 118 is a very interesting psalm, not just because it's Palm Sunday, which when I first agreed to do this, I did not realize it was Palm Sunday that I would be <laughs> preaching. But this was one of the psalms that was used by the children of Israel as they marched into, in procession, into the actual temple area. So as you're looking at this and thinking of Jesus and coats and palms being laid down in front of him, this would have been running through all of their minds as this is going on. So let's take a look at the scripture here. Starting in verse 1 of Psalm 118, it says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endures forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endures forever. I called upon the Lord in distress, and the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Stop there for now, but imagine this man, Christ, walking in, and we give thanks to the Lord, for he is good because his mercy endures forever. We, we see a picture here that it was written by the psalmist many years before. And we see a couple groups of people here. We're looking and it says, let Israel now say that his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endures forever. Let them that now fear the Lord say that his mercy endures forever. We have three distinct groups of people that are called upon to speak in light of what the Lord does with his mercy and his grace. The first there you'll see is the children of Israel. They're called to to reach out. And after that, we see beyond that, even more specifically, Aaron the priesthood, those, those who were put in charge of worship in the temple. And then beyond that, God-fearers, those who fear the Lord, that would include, include, it would include Gentiles that followed the God of Israel. So these three people were called on to come as they were proceeding towards the Temple Mount. So imagine the people that aren't there. The people that are not there that are not calling on the name of the Lord. And we'll see and we see later on that, that every man's going to be called. But we also see in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday that there were those that that defied Christ the first time and and the second time they're going to have to bow a knee. But we're all called. We're all called to call upon God's 
His mercy because His mercy is eternal. Let's take a look at verse 5 here. It says, I called upon the Lord in distress, and the Lord answered me, and He set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We see in our world that there's a lot of stress. Think about the stresses of, of everyday life, of the things that we, we endure. But beyond that, let's take a look at the, the stress that Jesus went under at this time. Governments, institutions, men watching over him, looking for him, waiting for him to make one false step, one false move. Christ called upon his Father, but we're also called to call upon that same Father. And the nice thing about that, the wonderful thing about that, is that God responds. It says that Man is taken, this man is taken from a place of, of narrowness to a broad plain. I don't know if you've ever been in an area with canyons or not. But imagine being in this narrow place, having, having stress and, and the world from all sides pressing down upon you. And knowing that God was moving you forward to a place where things we're going to open into a broad plain where you didn't have this constriction or this, this, this freedom of movement that would come with that and the joy that, that would come with that. This is a theme that we see throughout the Psalms many times that, that man calls out to God and, he, and God responds. And God moves over and over again and puts in us in a place of, of freedom beyond imagination. So what does this tell us about God's provision? First, that he's for us. The Lord is on my side. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty amazing statement. It's like, you remember when you were a little kid and you were picking teams for, I don't know if you guys played kickball or not. I, that, was, that was the national sport of, you know, first, second, and third grade for us. But, oh, well, I have so-and-so on my side. Well, I have so-and-so on my side. I'm picking this person. I'm picking that person. We have the Lord on our side. Now, in second grade, that seems pretty important for a kickball game. But then life changes and we grow and we change and we realize that God is on our side as we make it through those awkward years in junior high and high school and all those things we we want to remember and we don't want to remember. What we see 
is God providing for us? But let's look at the second part of that verse. It says, the Lord is on my side in verse 6. It says, I will not fear. What can man do to me? I will not fear. Not only has God is God willing to move us from this area of constriction and constraint into freedom, but he moves us beyond fear. No one has to be afraid when they're under the influence of Christ and when they allow Him to move them forward. The Lord takes my part with them that help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. So not only does God move us from constriction to freedom and from fear to to joy in Him, but He moves even further beyond that. He moves us to a place of absolute confidence in Him and it makes us realize when we, we are exposed to Christ, when we look at what He did on a day like today, knowing what would happen to him, knowing he was walking into the city. He still did it. It gives us a sense of confidence in a God who was willing to put himself out there in our place and take a walk that few of us would have by on our own. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes, our government. All the nations compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They compassed me about, yes, they compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord, I will, oh, I'm sorry, I lost my place there. They compassed me about like bees, and they are quenched as the fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. No, the, That seems pretty harsh. But realize when we stand in the midst of a world that we stand in, the protection and the fight that we're in. How many times, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but have you ever been around? He's talking about a swarm of bees here. The world surrounding him. Have you ever watched, maybe you've watched a YouTube video where there are people out getting honey? We actually had a kindergarten teacher at our our school that she was a beekeeper, and we got to actually go out and watch her get honey. And here she is out there in this suit, covered, her whole body covered in these bees as she's just reaching in and pulling the comb out and cutting it off and dropping it in. 
what sort of confidence can we have in a God that when we are surrounded so fully that we can still have confidence in Him? He, he, Jesus walking down the Mount of Olives and up into the city. There He is walking in and still he goes forward surrounded by people who are known to him that these people want him gone imagine and he's still willing to go forward in our stead in verse 13 it says thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall but the Lord helped me the Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation thrust sore at me sounds you know I, I love reading the King James but sometimes it's it uh, <laughs> as it waxes eloquent our minds grow dull but to, to understand the idea of someone thrusting sore at you. Um, in, in ancient times and in medieval times, they had what was called a flannex. The, the, the shields would be brought very close together. And they would put pikes or spears out through the gaps between. And they would come up upon an enemy and they would thrust over and over and over again and continue to do that to move themselves forward in a military campaign. So here he's talking about how, how not only is he surrounded and he's protected, but not only do they surround him, but they continue to surround him. They continue to, 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 to jab over and over and over again, just like they, every day with our own lives. God God sees us being jabbed at by the world over and over again. But here's the, this my favorite word in the Bible, but but the Lord helped me. And knowing that the psalmist cries out the Lord is my strength and my song and is become my salvation. Strength, song, and salvation. What, you can't, I don't know about you, but I can't ask for anything better. And it goes on, it says, the voice of rejoicing and salvation is the tabernacle of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Now what I want you to notice here in verse 15 and 16, there's a saying here. It says the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. And it doesn't say it once. It says it twice. Now something really interesting about the Bible is... is if, the, if it says it once in the Bible, it's, it's important. But if God says it more than once, 
It's time to sit up and pay attention, especially when he says it in such a short period of time. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacle of the righteous. So for those who don't find their righteousness in Christ, what what do you think their voices may be saying? We, We can have joy. Rejoicing because our righteousness is in Christ. And that's what's so important about this, this phrase that was said over again. It says, the right hand of the Lord. Throughout the Bible, we see who is the person seated at the right hand of the Father. Stephen himself in the book of Acts said, I see the Lord high and lifted up, seated on the right hand of the Father. He says it twice. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacle. Why? Because the right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. (laughs) Valiant is a word that's kind of lost its meaning in our day and age. But the idea of being valiant, many people think of a knight in, in armor, you know, going forward to rescue the fair princess. But the idea of being valiant, of being brave in the face of trouble and danger and terror. Christ does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted and the right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. Not only does he do these things valiantly, he's going to be exalted because of it. It's amazing. I find myself in Philippians chapter 2 almost every time I read the Bible, I end up there. (laughs) And here it is. Exalted, given a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord of the glory of God the Father. And he does valiantly as he walks forward and gets upon the donkey and rides into the city. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. That's where we could be because we know that without him, death is certain, as certain as as night comes after day. goes on to say the Lord chastened me sore but he has not given me over unto death open to me the gates of righteousness and I will go into them and I will praise the Lord the gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and thou art my salvation The Lord is our salvation. Imagine in that day and age knowing Christ himself 
watching him enter into the city, opening the gates for us, putting upon us his righteousness and our reaction of praise. I will praise him for he has heard me and become my salvation. But the gates are open and Christ enters. And they're the gates we have to follow through if we truly wish to follow Christ. <coughs> this week as, as you read through the crucifixion count from this point through the crucifixion into the resurrection, it's a path we have to follow. Like I said, the gates are open, Christ enters. It's also the gate that we must enter for a follower of Christ. We have both the honor and the responsibility to to watch him as he goes forward to take our place. And, And he gives to us in that a robe of grace that replaces the the shabby likeness that we call our righteousness. Christ moves forward to be our salvation and we must thank him and we must honor for him for what he does because he goes forward and the reason he goes forward is to build something. If we go back to John, he says that, that not only does he go to provide for us a way of salvation but in in John 14 he goes to prepare a place for us so as we're watching him walk into the city he's preparing the path he's setting down the path for us to follow Verse 22 says, The stone which the builders refused has become the chief cornerstone. I don't know how many of you have heard the story of how this came about and one of the reasons that this was such a, such a, a powerful thing in the life of Christ. But when, when they built the second temple... <laughs> You have to understand when they, they, they made they set up stones to build the walls, the stones were not cut on site. <laughs> None of these stones were cut on site. They were cut at the quarry, all numbered and set and put together so when they were moved, they could be set into place and be done. They came to put the cornerstone into place and they could not find it. because it had been thrown in the pile with the rejects. At least this is the way that the story goes. And every one of these people would have known that story when Christ went in. Every one of them. 
So he walks in and he becomes that piece, that corner piece, that foundation piece that held up the very temple walls. But verse 23 tells us why. It says, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech you, O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee. Send now prosperity. Blessed be he that comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, which has shown us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. This references throughout the Bible the term the day of the Lord. This is the, there, there's, I, I couldn't even lay down all of the, the scriptures that, that describe this day. But there, there are two of them. The one we're talking about right now is when Christ walks into the city. The day of the Lord, the Messiah arriving in the city. Having joy, having rejoicing, knowing that that the king has come. And that it's his doing. And that it's marvelous. <coughs> I'm, a, I'm a very visual person, so when I read this and when I think about Christ walking into the city, <coughs> the idea of this being marvelous in my eyes is, is perfectly clear because I can put myself, I can close my eyes and I can see it happening. And imagine being there and marveling at, at the pageantry of what's happening. I, last night, I, just, just to unwind, I was going through a bunch of the old movies I have on my computer and one of them is an old movie called The Shoes of the Fisherman. And uh, they're getting ready to crown a new pope and I'm looking at it and I'm going, watching all these people and their special robes and their special this and special that and all the pageantry and ooing and eyeing. Imagine no pageantry like that, but the same honor, only greater, being bestowed upon Christ. People gathering to come see this king coming in in peace. But you see, as we go on, it says in verse 25, it says, Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. The call for salvation 
And this is the call that, that during the Feast of Tabernacles would have gone up. From before the time of David, after he wrote this, this being used, to the time of Christ. The people calling for salvation. Calling for salvation. And to go with this, the the sacrifice that goes with this would be when they talk about here that that they would bind the sacrifice with cords and, and even to the horns of the altar. Now this isn't this isn't binding like we think of. This isn't, you know, like at a rodeo grounds where they, they take the steer down and tie the, the, the legs. It would have it would have been a cord placed around the neck of the animal. Because outside the the doors of of the area of sacrifice the animal would have been killed and brought in by that cord. It's part of the reason that, that some theologians use when they're talking about the Romans' road, the, the, the plan of salvation. They talk about the, the scarlet thread of, of Scripture being tied together by these, by these verses because the sacrifice is there. And the sacrifice is coming. Salvation is coming. And it's there. And it's being brought to the holiest part, the horns of the altar. So now we, we can look at an exposition like this, and it, there there's so much to this. I, I started reading and, and studying to do all of this and just filled up page after page with notes and <laughs> and scribbles if if you if you ever look at, at my notes on a paper you'll think I'm doodling rather than taking sermon notes but what do we do with all of this we we see Christ come in we see the provision he provides we see the, the picture but it's not just a picture. It was reality. It was the reality of God pouring himself into flesh and taking a walk that would have stopped almost every mortal man in his tracks. It's an honest question to ask if Christ hadn't gone first, how many of us would have followed that path? And that always seems, it always seems, I, when I get to this point, I always feel like I'm, I'm feeling like I'm being dark and gloomy, but it's not. You know, you start talking about blood being shed and enemies coming at us and being safe. But there's the joy in it. Knowing that we have a God who protects us, frees us, 
saves us and walks the road before us. When, when you get to, to the four Gospels and you start looking at, at this entry, we know that, that everything fell into place perfectly. And now, as we prepare to... Uh, to finish here and we leave here we have to realize that we have an opportunity because we serve this perfect God that had everything perfectly in place that we have this unparalleled opportunity to walk out the door and do the exact same thing he has the path for us already laid out he has perfect will laid out for us if we will pay attention And he goes to the cross for us, knowing this. Now we have the the joyful opportunity to follow him in what he did. And we can take that to the world knowing that there's joy when it's all said and done. See, the thing is, is I don't get to preach the fun one. I don't get to preach the one about Jesus being risen in the empty tomb. But you know what? We have to remember this is joy too. Because there's joy in the journey no matter how hard it seems. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this morning. We look at your word. We see the joy, we see the pain, we see the amazing path that you lay before us. How amazing and how privileged we are to follow you down this path. We thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice for your going before us. And Lord, may we, in some small way, be worthy of that by following the path that you lay before us in the next days, Lord. Where, no matter where that may be, and no matter where it may lead, we know that you go before us. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you. And we ask you to go with us all as we go from this place. And we pray this in Jesus' name.